0: your boredom is over because we're just getting started here on most shows recap talking about agent carter marvel's agent carter on abc seasons one and two both in the books, potentially the whole show in the book so we're going to talk about all of that we'll talk about some other scattered marvel tv news today as well hello everybody i am josh wiggler i am joined here by the chad michael to my murray antonio mazzaro what's up antonio
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm the Ched Michael to your Murray. Do you trust me? I'm, trust I've got a you. file. I've got a file on you, Josh. Here, It's been redacted. But let me tell you what's redacted out. It's not just all pizza stuff.
0: It's not all pizza stuff. There's other stuff in there. Do I trust you? I don't know. Um, as you and I were texting the other night, Antonio, uh, you do wear a small tie and you know what they say about people with small ties.
1: Listen, uh, you're, you're talking about my tie. This was this came up in the Republican debate the other night. You can't
0: Josh. you can't trust him. You can't trust yeah. people with tiny ties. So it's Antonio and I today, and we are joined here by another very special guest. He's our guy that we bring in every time we talk about anything comic book related. He is the comic book expert here on Post Show Recaps. Kevin Madeo. Kevin. Um, Kevin's not here. This is no good. Ugh. Like, is he? Oh, this is uncomfortable. Is he, is he flickering in and out? Kevin? What's happening here? Oh, my God. Is he effect- He's been affected by zero matter. Oh, I think he has. This oh, is my no God. Good. That's going to be tough podcasting. Okay. Well, unfortunately, Kevin Mahadeo has been zero mattered out of this podcast. Kevin, my co-host on all of our Marvel Netflix podcasts, we do Jessica Jones, daredevil daredevil returning very very soon uh we wanted him here for this agent carter conversation he had not seen agent carter up until uh well should have been up until recently but maybe not at all since he's just suddenly vanished on us but uh what are you going to do zero matter kevin is the thing that is happening right now when you said we'll have to hold it down
1: Yeah, yeah. When you said once more unto the breach, I don't think he understood what that meant. He just dove in head first. (laughs) He went
0: into the breach with the flying car, and dude does not know how to drive, or at least not very well. So it's gonna be be tough getting him out of here. Anyway, we'll find a way to get Zero Matter Kevin back into the real world at some point in the next few weeks. I think we're gonna have a few other occasions to talk comics. Again, Daredevil coming up very soon, so Kevin and I will be back with some Daredevil podcasts in a few weeks. Until then, it's just Antonio and I talk and today on Mosho's Recap, Rob Sesternino is all in on House of Cards, just premiered its fourth season on Netflix, so him and Zach Brooks are busy diving into that and working on podcasts there, so no Rob here. Rob tends to sit out the superhero chats anyway, so it's just you and I, Antonio, I think that we can handle this. This feels like something that you and I are prepared for.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe a oh, look. Maybe you're not going to have Agent Carter and Jarvis, but you've got Agent Carter and Sousa, and that's just as good,
0: right? I like how you said Jarvis. It was kind of like Jarvis,
1: Jarvis, <laughs> Edwin
0: Jarvis,
1: Edwin Jarvis. Maybe you're not going to have Mister Jarvis no. and Agent Carter, but you've got. I'll be I'll be Souza to your Agent Carter. How about that?
0: I like Sousa. I'm a big fan of Sousa. I kind of want to be Sousa.
1: Uh, well, you can be Sousa. I'll be Agent Carter. I'm so, happy about that.
0: But I think that works. I mean, because there's been like a there's a lot of tension between you and I. There's a lot of chemistry that goes on here. It hasn't fully paid off yet. So who knows where these podcasts are going to end? <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. That about sums it up. Am I <laughs> Sounds wrong? Good to me. Oh no, yep. I went too that's, far. I that's good. Th- half bloom at least. All right, half bloom at least. All right. So let's talk Agent Carter, which is a show that I have I have been a fan of for a while. It tends to be a show that I you know I let sit on DVR for a while and then I will binge it in its entirety. That's what I did with season one last year. That's what I did with season two. I wrapped up earlier this morning. It is Saturday, March 5th, as we are recording this. Um, so I, I, just, I trucked through it this morning, I, yesterday and this morning. So it's a, it's a really fun binge show for me, but a show that I had been familiar with for a while. Antonio, this was your first exposure to Agent Carter, pretty much, was for this podcast, right? That's right. And I did watch it all, and I really
1: enjoyed watching it all. It, 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 I... I don't know. I want to talk about that because it it's a show that hasn't done that well in the ratings. Yep. Uh, that is a you, you can't talk about agent carter without talking about that do you have
0: do you have information on the ratings because you're right not great not great peggy bad bad ratings going on with agent carter do you have any information on just how bad those ratings
1: are yeah were? i mean i we can get into it it's mainly by comparison it, it it just is not it really if you look at what's happened kind of throughout the course of the run uh, the the real issue with agent carter is that It is sort of a replacement when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes on hiatus. Right. And that is not only when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes on hiatus. That's also when Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, all of ABC's other really highly rated shows go on hiatus. So it becomes a very difficult show to promote. Uh, in fact in within the demo itself um it 's not doing that poorly, so you 're talking about like a point seven zero in the demo by the end of the season, which by the way is about half of what the c w is pulling for some of the bigger superhero shows okay so that 's not a great number when you 're talking about ABC putting a superhero show out there um, and that that 's really where the big issue is uh, points you know point eight with uh, in the demo is i think that'd be a great number on another service on on a thing like a netflix or something like that um it just it, there's plenty of eyes on the show it's just not doing well by comparison even to other things on tv and i think that that's really difficult
0: yeah but I, and but, it's tuesday nights and i think that's it has to be going up against the flash almost directly if not directly
1: yeah, and I, um, I, I you can, t- I mean, you can look at some of the the show by show comparisons of that where it doesn't it doesn't always end well for Agent Carter it usually is bringing up the rear in those kind of numbers and I think that that's difficult. But what I was gonna say is uh, I think the really weird thing about that. Is, look, if you and I aren't watching the thing live, and we have to be the target audience of this show, we're superhero fans, we're comic book fans, we like other shows in this genre, other Marvel shows that are out there. I'm a big
0: I mean, fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so I want to be tied into that stuff. Right, and and yet
1: we're not watching this live, and we're okay with time shift. It. And I think that that's difficult. I think that I think that not only is it going to be third or fourth place a lot of the times when it's on, but even the core people like you and I, Kevin, are are not like watching this live, right? And I think that if we're not doing that, then. I'm not sure that it's, it, it signals that the show is bad because I think as we're going to talk about it here, I'm sure we both really enjoyed it. I think it just signals that this, in this day and age, I'm just not sure that it's the best reflector. I, I, maybe the, the eyes that they want on this show are not eyes that are going to watch it live, and that's re- Really, how it breaks down?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know the, the, the numbers are the numbers not fantastic. It is becoming you know an increasingly difficult way of telling what is successful and what's not on TV when you have streaming numbers that you need to look at as well and DVR numbers and all that jazz. Um, but I think creatively, yeah, you and I agree. Agent Carter is a lot of fun. Um, this is a really fun show. It is, a, it is a well-written show. It is a strongly acted show. It features one of my favorite leads on just about any show right now. Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter is a favorite TV character of mine. I think that she's tremendous. She has an incredible supporting cast that she is surrounded by. There is so much that this show gets right, and yet there are not a lot of live eyeballs on the thing. Um, and I wonder, you know, obviously it matters, obviously it might matter everything, like everything might ride on that, or it might, you know, matter some, and there might be other ways of finding an audience for Agent Carter. You know, the, the ratings, the viewers were not fantastic throughout season one. It, the spread was almost 7 million viewers for the premiere to about 4 million for the eighth episode, which is the finale. Um, it returned with less than that, uh, this past season it debuted with 3.18 million viewers and ended at a series low of 2.35 that's not fantastic that's not great but so much about this show is so good and it comes with the marvel brand that's a very very big deal i got to imagine to abc that you can see agent carter despite struggling in viewers and struggling in ratings if it is successful in other avenues and it is certainly creatively successful i don't know that we want to say r.i.p agent carter quite yet
1: Yeah, I think that it's got a lot counting against it that we haven't even hit on. For one, the person who greenlit it as head of ABC was recently fired. Yes. And I think that that's a big a big problem. The second thing is Haley Atwell has taken a pilot at ABC, a drama pilot, where she's going to be the lead. Now, uh, I don't know what the positions are in terms of her contract. I do know that at least it's being suggested that it's – that she could do both shows, uh, that both could be short runs. Uh, Agent Carter only being an 8-10 to 10 episode order, um, season 1-8, season two ten. I think that that does give her some flexibility in that regard. So I, I don't think it's a, a death blow that she's taken another pilot. I don't think it's a death blow that uh, the ABC head was fired. I don't think it's a death blow that the show's ratings are not that great. Uh, ABC's not pulling great numbers on a lot of other shows as well, uh, and so that's uh, that's you know it's not this isn't the only underperforming show. Other shows that did poorly in ratings, like *Allevant*, were renewed. But again, maybe that's why the guy got fired. Wow. So yeah, yeah so that's a big part of it, and all those things count against it. But you're right, all the things that you said count for it definitely count for it in spades. And when you talk about 3.2 million or whatever the number in the advertising demo, like I said, the show's pulling a point seven. At the end of the day, by the end of the season, the last newly, episode, newly airing episode of The Flash pulled a 1.4, so double the number in the demo, right. and that's for the CW. So that's, uh, that's not easy for ABC to sell uh, to advertisers or to stomach, uh, and they've got to think you know, maybe if we put a new show on the air, we could get a better number out of that time slot, yeah. and I think that's what's difficult.
0: I think that's difficult. You know, you think about creative solutions for how you could have more Agent Carter with all of the things that you said with it not doing particularly great on ABC with the person who greenlit Agent Carter just got uh, released. I believe Paul Lee is yeah. his name. Um, and, yeah. Uh, Haley Atwell did book another pilot. That seems to be a bad look. Is something like a Netflix? Is that a possibility? Some sort of Netflix revival that tends to be you know, the big white knight that everybody is always looking toward when shows get canceled? Certainly, Marvel and Netflix have a great relationship. They have multiple shows that they are releasing through Netflix. I don't feel like Agent Carter fits that mold. I think what they're doing on Netflix is very specifically PG thirteen or even I, I believe they like to call PG seventeen, PG sixteen. So I, I don't think that Agent Carter really fits that. So I feel like if it were to come back, you got to imagine it would be on ABC, and it might be difficult to pull that off. I think the other thing to discuss is: does it need to come back? I think that there's great stuff that you can tell, you know, great stories you can tell through Agent Carter, probably countless stories that you could you could continue to tell. But if season two, which just wrapped, we, it finished this past week as we're recording this, um, if that were the last episode of Agent Carter, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty satisfied. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, I, I also... I would very,
1: very, very much like to see more Agent Carter. I would like to see more Agent Carter more than I would like to see several of the other Marvel properties that are TV shows. Uh, So that's the really frustrating thing for me is that watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a show that I don't like as much as I liked Agent Carter or Jessica Jones, a show that I didn't like as much as I liked Agent Carter, uh, just forge forward uh, with you know no real end in sight and Agent Carter maybe not coming back. I think that's a difficult thing for me to stomach. But you're right. It's an ABC property. The thing is, if you look, the, se- the first season's not available anywhere in, in completeness for streaming. It's not on Hulu. It's not on Netflix. There is no full Agent Carter first season to stream as part of a you know over-the-air service or a, a service that you're paying for to stream shows. Hard show so, to
0: legally catch up on.
1: Hard show to legally catch up on unless you want to buy it, like you buy each episode. So right. that's the first thing. When Netflix typically has saved a show or is interested in that, those are shows that they have their own internal metrics on, where they can see that somebody watched a whole lot of, let's say, uh, Damages or The Killing uh, or Arrested Development or any of these shows that they've resurrected. They can see from their internal metrics from previous seasons that they have that these are very popular shows that a lot of people have watched, and they can know that if they renew it, they're going to get at least that number. They don't have that data on Agent Carter. So in addition to it not fitting thematically, uh, it, which it doesn't, I completely agree, Uh, It's just not. It doesn't really fit with anything Netflix has typically done in terms of continuing a show. Uh, But there, you know, there are Netflix spent more money at, uh, you know, in pilot season and at Sundance than any other uh, network provider, anybody that's doing original uh, TV last year. So I, I don't think Netflix is not investing in shows. I think there's possibility this show could go there. But you're right. Does it need to? I don't know. The one thing I would say is, and I'm interested in your take on this. I felt like season two was a a, a very huge leap forward thematically in terms of uh, the issues that it was taking on, the way it was confronting the issues that it was confronting, the complexity of the issue that it wanted to address about gender about politics in the workplace those things that's always sort of been the agent Car or agent carter character i don't know if you want to set up the general character for those who are listening who don't really know what the character is but i felt like that took a galactic leap forward in season two Ooh,
0: a galactic leap forward a galactus leap forward that's yes. Just like a puff of smoke, just a big, giant cloud. That's the blackness we know and love. No, yes. let's, let's set up Agent Carter. We have not done that. We're you know, 10, 15 minutes into this thing, so why don't we take care of that? That feel, We started at the end. Let's, let's get down to the beginning. Agent Carter, starring Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. If you have only watched the Marvel movies but you haven't seen the shows, you already know who Peggy Carter is. She is the uh, female lead of Captain America the First Avenger, one of the very first Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that came out, takes place in the 1940s. It's the origin story of Chris Evans and Steve Rogers. He gets frozen on ice by the end of the thing and it's very, very sad and who knows what's going to happen to all the people he's left behind in the 40s. Agent Carter is basically, it's, you know, Captain America, The First Avenger, it produces two sequels. It's got Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Civil War is coming up. Those are modern day stories. Agent Carter is probably, I would say, the true sequel to The First Avenger. Uh, It continues the stories of the 1940s Marvel Cinematic universe agent carter is at the heart of it she is uh, she works for it's ssr is that correct yeah, SSR works for SSR. She is an agent in the workplace in 1940s and is often mocked and ridiculed and underestimated by her male colleagues. She routinely shows them time and time again that she is the best agent in the office by far. She is chasing down all sorts of weird, wacky mysteries and stories. Throughout the process, she has teamed up with a couple of agents that some of them believe in her. Many of them don't. Many more of them don't. I would say she's also in league with. Howard Stark, played by Dominic Cooper. He is the father of Iron Man, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, and he has a trusty butler named Edwin Jarvis, who is one of my favorite characters on the show, maybe my favorite character on the show, played by James Darcy. And they're kind of the real power duo at the heart of the show is Peggy and Jarvis constantly busting down doors, figuring out what's going on. Really fun stuff. At first The first season took place in New York City. Second season takes place in Hollywood. I was curious to know uh we, we were ta- we were starting to talk a little bit about agent carter a few weeks ago when zero matter kevin was actually not zero matter and was on the podcast uh and i wanted to know if you guys like it, it, having seen none of season one and just hopping into an episode of season two if it was really going to be jarring or if you needed to see season one having finished season two i do think it behooves you to watch season one first Yeah, for sure. There's a lot going on. Lots of characters, lots of stories that are up in the
1: air. Not only are there legacy storylines with certain characters who were kind of left uh, out in the, you know, as open ends or loose ends at the end of season one that come back in season two, but a lot of the relationships uh, really are built on uh, and really evolve that are developed in season one. So yeah. I absolutely think you should start with season one.
0: So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show. I podcasted about it uh, last year with Terry Schwartz. We talked about one of the first episodes, maybe just the premiere. I think we talked about the two-hour premiere. Both of us really liked it. I loved it all the way through. I've been a big fan, but I haven't really heard your take on it, Antonio. So let's just get, like, your overall view of Agent Carter. You like it. You're a fan. You're into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I may be a little bit um, – I don't know what the word is. I'm not, I'm not thinking the word is tone deaf, but I think maybe I just didn't understand what would have been great about this series before it existed. And maybe maybe that's part of the problem and why it never really popped huge uh, number-wise. I'm i a huge fan of Captain America and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, In fact, the Captain America portion of it, maybe my favorite portion of it, And I just didn't understand why we needed to kind of fill in the gaps between what happens with Captain America after World War II uh, and what happens with uh, Stark Industries and S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything that develops – and now, I, I felt like even the, the storylines in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, did that. They kind of filled in those gaps so without spoiling much of that movie. Um, there is kind of a look back throughout history at what happened over time and where these things developed. That I felt like, okay, we don't really need a show set in the day to day in that world. But boy, was I wrong. Like, wow. I just, I really, I don't think I really fully understood what they could do with that character, with the Agent Carter character. And honestly, seeing it play out was really a, a big a big treat and uh, really just changed my view completely of all of these Marvel shows at this point. I feel like there's a lot that can be done with any of these people. I, I'm, I'm wondering, is this a big comics character, the Agent Carter character? I know that a lot of these... Uh, Captain America adjacent characters are, but I don't know much about the background of Agent Carter. Do you know much about that that you can speak to that you may have already addressed with Terry, but might be good to reset here?
0: Would be would be great if Zero Matter Kevin was here; he'd be the perfect person to sure. talk to about that. But my we can, we can ask him. I just don't think I don't think he's, he's going to respond. He's not going to answer me as somebody who's much more of a casual Marvel Comics guy. The bigger deal Carter character is Sharon Carter, who is um, you know a contemporary of Steve Rogers in the modern day. She's played by Emily Van camp in Winter Soldier. I believe she will be popping up again in Civil War, but she's the bigger deal. Peggy Carter is a character from the 40s, um, a relationship of Steve's, uh, never really goes anywhere much in the way that it doesn't really go anywhere. Here, referenced a bunch. I'm sure that there are are probably prominent stories of hers that I couldn't reference off the top of my head, but Sharon Carter, Agent 13, is the much bigger deal. So there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of leeway with the live-action incarnation of Peggy Carter. They really have a lot of freedom to pretty much do whatever they want.
1: Yeah. And I think that it is with that freedom that they really uh, butter their bread, if you will. I think that that's kind of the key to the series is that because they're sort of free to do what they want with that character, I think that what happens and what they do ultimately is just really kind of, I wouldn't say progressive, but it's not entirely expected. I mean, here's the deal. Obviously being a female agent, at the time that she was, there are a lot of issues with that. There are a lot of issues with gender. There are a lot of issues with respect. There are a lot of issues with what she can take advantage of and what she can get away with because people don't take her very seriously and don't consider that. And the show really addresses all of those issues, but not in a way that it really undermines her character. It is not presented as... She's not constantly banging her head against the wall like, woe is me. I'm never going to overcome these horrible obstacles. That's not what it is. It is something that she's cognizant of. She uses to her advantage. Um, She is cognizant of how it can be a disadvantage, and she takes it in stride and moves forward. Uh, And I think that because of that, uh, because the show is able to present it more subtly, and it's sort of one of those things where you don't realize uh, after a time you're just like, you know what, like, that is what, that is, that that happened because of X, Y, and Z, because of people judging these things. It's not, it, it, because it takes you, because you kind of figure it out, and because it's a little more subtle, I think it's a much deeper realization than if they're beating you over the head with it. And then then it's kind of like, okay, I get it. But then it's like, oh, no, I get it. Like, I get it. So I think that the way the show really takes advantage of, Uh, the milieu and the times uh, and and the character is really significant. Uh, Season two is where that really pops for me. Uh, And there's a lot of moments like that. We have a black scientist um, and it's not really a big deal that he's a black scientist until one of the female villains says to him, like, you know, think about what every day is like for you. Right. Think about this. And then it's like, holy You know, now I get it. Like they're not – they're not making this the sole issue of the show, but it comes up in a way that's really good. I just think that it's so deft and really smart, and the characters are done
0: really well. Well, it's great because you know these are real issues of that time period, and frankly, of today. Uh, but it's really super prevalent in the forties, and it's really something that they can't realistically ignore. I mean, they could; they could choose to make it completely a non-issue and just you know kind of disnify the thing. But it wouldn't be fair to the time period. It wouldn't be fair to the characters. But they don't... You know, it's not something that... Bogs anybody down, as you said. It's something that that Carter is able to charge through. That she recognizes, that she sees. But a lot of these characters, characters that you that you like, uh, some of them that you don't like so much. But even a character like the Chief, uh, Chief Dooley in the first season, who is really kind of anti-Carter for basically he-man woman-hater reasons. Um, sure, they find they find ways of having him have that perspective and also be a character that's compelling. And I think that they write it really smartly. I think they write it really well. I don't think that this show would work nearly as well if they weren't dealing with those social issues. And as I said earlier, I think that a lot of it is still relevant now. And I think that that's one of the big reasons why this show is really important and is really well told and is responded to by the people who do love this character and love this show, why it's embraced so wholeheartedly by those people.
1: Yeah. And I think that that I think that's what I didn't see when I just knew the Agent Carter character from Captain America, because right. Captain America is more about uh, more about uh, Steve Rogers' struggles, and he's a little guy, but he really wants to do well for his country, and he's willing to make this sacrifice. I'm just a little guy. Yeah, I'm just a little guy. All these tiny things. hands, <laughs> tiny hands, little feet, t- tiny tie. Uh, yeah, Stab he's just a balloon, and he'll he'll get all the way up to the top he's just willing to go there. He's he'll do whatever, but it's much more about his struggle in that regard. And it's not really about her. She's a character, but she's immediately presented as incredibly good at her job, incredibly efficient at her job uh, and really kind of in charge. And, We don't see the depth that we immediately see when we start – and it makes sense because this show is going to explore this character in a much deeper way and you're going to see her in the day-to-day interactions with people and you're going to see her with her her bosses and her superiors and you're going to see the petty stuff that that comes up and you're going to see her responses to it. So it makes sense that this show would do a better job of that. I just never really thought about uh, Marvel, I guess. Uh, taking the steps to really make a show that was making such a social point, and not only that, but doing it so deftly that it was it was a really good show. Like yeah. that, doing it in a way that in more of a Mad Men kind of way, and actually Mad Men was in some ways almost more on the nose a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, than Agent Carter. So Agent Carter. Yeah, you've got you've got Shay. You've got Shay. What's his last name? Shay Wigham Shea Wiggum. Chief, Wiggum. You got Chief You got Chief Wiggum up there uh, being very one-dimensional as a character. But on the other hand, um, he, he, there is there is more to it as the series develops. They gave so, him a great arc, I thought. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, yeah, it really ends with a bang, too. So yeah. So great. <laughs>
0: It really does. I feel like, uh, you know, there's certain characters that are are probably a little more one note that maybe you have different mileage on. But the aforementioned Chad Michael Murray as Jack Thompson, like he's he's a guy that's a little too one dimensional for me. But I feel like that's fewer and further between than you would probably think um, that you specifically, Antonio, probably would have thought coming into this thing that I feel like there's many more fleshed out, full dimensional characters than you would have expected.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, you can easily speak for me there because I I think that that's true, and I think that, I think more than that, I think that especially in in season two the villains are more fleshed out. I think in season one there's a little bit of it, and I think that it it does some interesting stuff that would maybe inform the Black Widow character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of it's like the evil Russian kind of uh, Cold War beginning to start after World War II. Uh, that I mean, it makes sense. It's nascent; like it, it, it wasn't really covered in uh, in Captain America. So it, it, Russian villains are. It's perfect that that. But adding the kind of element of the Black Widow kind of character uh, really makes sense. But in season two, I think it really takes off in terms of the complexity of the villain. And I think that's where uh, the show really gets into a more multidimensional kind of uh, angle at things. And I'm fascinated by that. But yeah, Chad Michael Murray, not the most uh, multidimensional character. And honestly... The layers that they try to add to him a lot of times don't really add up. They yeah, don't exactly. make a ton of sense. So it's kind of like this this character could have just been what it was and it would have been fine. And every time they try to turn him a different shade, I think it just casts light on the things that he already was. And I don't know. It's uh, it's not the best. That's not the best character for sure.
0: Yeah, And I, I, not to spoil the ending because if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the show, you should just go watch the show. But he's involved in a cliffhanger you know, towards the end of this season where I was kind of just like, eh. You know, that'll happen. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> think that's like, right. And, the note that the show had ended on right before that cliffhanger was kind of like, yeah, I'm good with that. And then the yeah. next thing happens, I'm kind of like, I could have just stopped the show.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I understand why they did what they did. If I'm sure you do too, but uh, but it, it didn't really have any heft to it. It could have been a different character, would have had a lot more heft to it. I think there are ways they could have written that and made it happen that would have been a, a lot more of a, a jaw dropper or uh, a more interesting kind of moment that would drive you into season three for this. It's just kind of like, ah, big deal. So, exactly. you know, we'll, 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 we can, talk about that later if we wanted to, sure. but, but really, uh, I think that's difficult, but you know, the, one of the things I want to talk about is the tone of the show, because I think that that's sort of uh, the really key thing about this show. I've sort of been very complicated in discussing how, It, uh, it is able to sort of make points about society without beating you over the head with them and how it's subtle in a lot of the ways that it's really effective even though uh, sometimes there are characters that are really on the nose uh, but really the show is comedic almost yes. light it's yeah. lighter you say PG 17 for the Netflix shows I'd say this is strongly PG
0: would you agree I would say it's closer to PG13 but it's like on the softer side of PG13
1: yeah there's there's definitely murders that happen there's a lot of murders it's Murder like it, you
0: know I would take like my you know my just bar mitzvah cousin to this with no no regrets no regrets whatsoever and i would probably like even pre-bar mitzvah 12 year old cousin i'd be comfortable showing them agent carter except for like the candy that would get stuck in his braces that would be difficult yeah that would be a regret the
1: airheads would be yeah if you bought him like an airhead and made a pillow out of it it'd be really difficult yeah
0: do they have airheads in movie theaters i'm sure they do right yeah i'm more of a sour patch guy yeah everybody's sour patch god come on love the sour patch sour patch regular or watermelons
1: uh, well, you know what's really so – I was reading an interview with somebody the other day, and they said Sour Patch Watermelons were their go-to road trip food. And I thought that that was ridiculous, but road I don't know. Road trip food? Yeah. Well, this was like an actor where they were like, oh, what are you buying if you're you you're know, if you're junk food or you're doing
0: whatever? And oh, they like, just oh, can't get away from the movies. They have to bring the movie snacks everywhere sour they go. Sour Patch Watermelons. Yeah. And my
1: wife wants the barbecue lays is what yeah. he said. I forget who this was. But, um, but anyway, yeah, this uh, – what were we talking about? We were,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the candy tone of Agent Carter. Ah, yes, he and would the, take your cousin, and the candy would get stuck in his braces. And, and it's yes, a little—it's a little bit of a sweeter show, certainly than the Netflix stuff.
1: Yeah, it is, and that the thing is, I feel like initially I thought, okay, I'm I'm not going to love this show because it's it's a little too light, like. But really, I think they strike a pretty good balance where the the show is lighter, and there are very, very, very funny moments. That's really why I love Mr. Jarvis more than anything. Is the character is really really funny, uh, but I think the show does a great job of altering that tone or playing within that tone to have really a. Effective emotional moments uh, yeah. and to also really play good suspense. I think the show does a really good job of managing tone and playing within the tone that it establishes and still being kind of an effective show that isn't just a very light show.
0: Well, I think that's one of the strong points of Marvel, period. Um, and maybe not so much the Netflix stuff, which is almost universally praised. But I think if there's, um, I don't know if, it, if it's a, crit- a critique or a complaint or, or anything, but I think it's something worth noting. It's just how dark those shows are and they don't always feel ...of the universe. You know, they don't always feel like they fit alongside something like Avengers, which comes from Joss Whedon, which is going to be a little bit bubblegummy every once in a while. It's also going to have moments of darkness where characters are going to die and you're going to be sad, and there's going to be big action and adventure and things like that, but you'll also have Tony Stark and everybody trying to lift Thor's hammer at Avengers Tower, and it's going to be a very funny scene that's suddenly going to become a nightmare when Ultron shows up. I don't think that there's so much of that tonal shift in the Netflix shows, but it's all over Agent Carter, and I think that that's very of a piece with the greater Marvel Cinematic universe, and I think that's something from the movies that a show like Agent Carter responds to, interacts with, um, takes advantage of, and, you know, in many ways, I think finesses and succeeds at better than some of these movies. I would say, I would pick Agent Carter every single day of the week over, let's say, either Thor movie. You know, there are certain movies in the Marvel catalog that I would take the entirety of Agent Carter over pretty much every single day. And I think that a lot of that has to do with what you're saying is it's really great in terms of tone, I think it's mirroring the tone of the films and in a lot of ways perfecting the tone.
1: Yeah, I think that that's right. And I think that what, what was interesting for that to me is that um, is that Captain America, tonally, the first movie is like that. But the second movie is really kind of serious in tone. And it seems like this third movie, Civil War, is going to be very serious in right. tone. And I think big things are going to go down there. Uh, it certainly seems to be the way they're teasing it. And that's a franchise that can, I think, abide a little more of the darkness. Uh, you know, Iron Man. Can't get away with it as much, and so your mileage may vary as the Iron Man movies go on. You know, Iron Man three is just kind of a – the stakes seem incredibly low, and it's sort of a joke fest. And uh, I, I don't know. The, so the the movies kind of vary in terms of their success within that tone. Uh, but obviously, the, the the tone of Iron Man, the original movie, sets the course for the whole MCU and does a fantastic job. The tone in Guardians of the Galaxy is fantastic, right? So it, the the things that do really well with this do really well. with an Agent Carter fits there. I just – initially, it almost seems too silly, uh, but it, it isn't. I mean, it really isn't. Like, there, there are some really just outright completely comedic characters, not comedic moments or comedic scenes, but characters who are almost exclusively comedic, especially in season two.
0: Like Samberly.
1: Samberly is exactly who I was thinking of. Uh, and, and I, that, that said, it still plays really well. Even though I get more laughs out of Jarvis than anything, I think that's where the pathos comes in when you see behind the curtain a little bit and you really realize that Mr. Jarvis has. As these emotions, and uh, he's really caught up in doing certain things correctly or well, and he's really upset about certain things that happen. I don't think that you get as much mileage out of that without seeing Jarvis the clown first. Totally, and I think that that the show's really smart about that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think Jarvis was the example I was thinking of as you were as you were discussing that stuff because you're right, Jarvis the clown. That's like that's a great way of putting it. You know, he's very bumbling, he's very funny, um, but in season two, especially towards the end of season two, he is put through his paces and has so. very dramatic moments and has some very dramatic things happen to him in his life. And, you know, James Darcy is a fantastic actor who is capable of handling both sides of the coin of expressing levity and then expressing great sorrow. And he does it masterfully. And I think that you get that a ton from Haley Atwell as well. Um, But I think that the most readily accessible example of that for me is probably the Jarvis character, who I think that they really did great stuff with all throughout the run. But really, in season two, I thought that they really knocked it out of the park with that guy.
1: Yeah, and I do wonder if, you know, 6.91 million people tune in to see the premiere and they're like, "Eh, I'm not in love with the tone of this show. I think it's going to be too light and too silly. And they don 't stick around to realize that by having confidence in that from the start it, it, in giving them a place to start from in that regard they're able to go to those places and really be effective with pathos and with things that are are not you know that are poignant or that generate a lot of different emotions that come from humor and comedy uh, and silliness that, that they you wouldn 't necessarily expect that they do really well. I mean, it, it comes to a point where in season two, uh, Agent Carter directly addresses Jarvis and said, "I think you think of these things that I do as adventures, as and lark, they're just, yeah. yeah, they're a lark. They're fun, they're fun just little things. But you know, I this is my life. Like I go home and this this eats at me, and you go home and you knit and you make souffles and you do these sorts of silly things. But I this is my life, and these are really important. And then that's when Jarvis kind of lets down his curtain a little bit, and you see inside him, and there's a lot there. Uh, and so that's really just fantastic stuff that I don't think lands as well if they don't set it up the way they do. But I don't really think you can say enough. When I say Jarvis the Clown, uh, James Darcy just does such a fantastic job not only with uh, his deadpan kind of delivery and the way he handles the actual dialogue, but his physicality in the role.
0: Yeah, he's a master. His physicality is fantastic. Great physical comedy for him. I'm thinking of when he was like, um, when he was numbed earlier in season two and he's just got like total like drunk face against the window of the car. Yes. He's
1: also doing calisthenics at one point and he's wearing like a unitard or a singlet uh, and he's wearing his like exercise attire rolling around on the ground and leaping. He's constantly leaping up, uh, you know, picking up bags and jumping around and he's just the physicality on Jarvis is so strong and the, the kind of the main character beat at the end of season one for Jarvis is good but the, the character beats for Jarvis in season two are a lot better.
0: Yeah and Jarvis I mean you asked is, is Peggy Carter a huge deal in Marvel and I'd say like she's a big deal in Marvel but not a gigantic deal uh, and I mean Jarvis isn't a gigantic deal in Marvel either but the Jarvis that we have seen in the Marvel movies is an artificial intelligence that eventually becomes Vision in, agent, uh, in Avengers agent of Ultron. Um, it was not the character, you know, it's not like kind of the wise old Avengers butler that we are used to as comic book readers. That's really the Jarvis of the comics. And I wouldn't say that Edwin Jarvis of Agent Carter is like the wise old butler. He's a young man, but he's, he's closer to that version. I think that they do a really good job with that character. So it was very exciting for Marvel Comics fans to see that Jarvis was going to be a part of this show, especially because Howard Stark wasn't going to be a regular fixture on the show. It was cool to have a comic book character who was like a cool easily referenced comic book character that hadn't really been done exactly perfectly in the movies done in a cool way but not done in a faithful traditional way Um, to have that character kind of leap off the page and be transposed to the 40s and be Carter's sidekick for me that was one of the draws of the show when I knew that that character was being cast and when James Darcy was the guy who eventually won the role Um, that was a big draw for me and they totally totally delivered on that character he is really just such a delight
1: yeah, I tried not to do the math on it because I was like, so wait a minute. So Jarvis is Howard Stark's butler. Presumably Howard Stark and or Tony Stark work on this artificial intelligence to create the voice of Jarvis in the Iron Man suit, which is sentient enough that it can actually respond and have thoughts and make jokes and those sorts of things, which then becomes Paul Bettany when right. it becomes Vision. I try not to think too much about it because there is a really funny joke. It's an Easter egg throwaway kind of joke in season two of agents of shield where mr jarvis is working on a home security system that's basically just his voice saying like go away you yeah. still have time don't yeah. get off the property and he's like i would hate for my voice disembodied to just live on forever in a machine you know he just <laughs> says something like that yeah. and it's really just like okay that's obviously what's going to happen so that's really funny but um he just th- that character is so good and I really do love the, the chemistry between, uh, between James Darcy and Haley Atwell is off the charts. Like, they're just so good together. And they, there is a, there's an, it's never too much. It's never like, will they or won't they chemistry. I don't think it never played that way to me. I don't know about you. It but played I, that way
0: to a bunch of people, I think, and I never saw it. Like, to me, yeah, it, I never to saw it was it a no brainer that it was going to be never. And it wasn't even on the table
1: yeah and throughout season one you hear uh you hear his wife and you you hear this you, you imagine this very proper English woman, and uh you don't see her but you hear her talk, tell of her and you you do hear her off screen a little bit uh, but then you meet her in season two and she's fantastic as well. Yeah. And so it just, it's perfect the way that that all kind of comes together. And I, she can tell that Jarvis and Carter have a bond, but I don't think she's threatened by it at all. There's a very different reaction, obviously with agent Sousa and his uh, love interest. Which, by the way, um, season two could have handled a whole lot better. Uh, But there's a very different thing going on there uh, with Agent Carter and Agent Sousa. But with Jarvis and Carter, I I really sense a very strong bond. I think he gets a lot of of what agent Carter is going through, but there's a lot he doesn't get. And so that also adds to their relationship as well.
0: Let's talk about Sousa. He's the only one of the main series regulars that we haven't talked about really much at all played by Enver Jokaj, who is a, a really talented, versatile actor who if many of you probably have not seen dollhouse, which was the very super short lived Fox show from Joss Whedon, uh, can't blame you. It was hardly watched at all by anybody. It's worth watching. It has a really great string of episodes in season two, especially, that I thought were really some of the best episodes that I had seen of that year. Uh, And he plays a very prominent role, and he plays a character who, just by the nature of the character, has to be able to play a ton of different characters, uh, and every single one is so distinct from the other, and he just does such a killer job there. He's definitely a more dry character here on Agent Carter, but I just loved the actor, so I was automatically rooting for him, and I liked him as a foil for Peggy and as a potential Levin just for Peggy, but Antonio, I'm curious for your take on the Sousa character. If you liked him, if, if you did, why? If you didn't, why not? I couldn't stand him
1: in season one. Like I really didn't think that – and my take on that would have been that I love the Agent Carter character and I didn't need her to be carrying a torch for Captain America. But I also didn't need her to have a love interest. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that – I mean if it would have been a male character, I wouldn't have needed a love interest. So I really don't need one for a female character. I don't I, – it just – I understand why it's in the show, but I really didn't need it. Uh, and I felt like the times when it was sort of – I, I, I Ultimately, in season one, it becomes a little bit part of the story because he's, ask, he's put in a position where he has to trust her and do his feelings for her, uh, have an impact on that or not, and where's he going to go with that. And that's kind of trying to add some dimensions to his character. But I feel like overall, that story in season one was a, a very weak spot for me. But that said, I felt like it played better in season two. And by the end of season two, I was very happy to have him in the show, not only in the show, but in the role that he was in. And and, uh, I I think there's a little bit of the Captain America, the early Captain America in him uh, because he's he's got a war injury. He's got, he's walking around with a limp and a, and he's got a, he's got one crutch, like a cane like crutch, right. uh, that he's got an issue with there. Um, so if you wanted to say that, uh, agent Carter has a type, maybe she has a type that's the broken, uh, type with a big heart, uh, that that fits with the, uh, with the Steve Rogers kind of, uh, what's going on there. Uh, the first, you know, the, the before captain America, Steve Rogers, I think you could see a little bit of that there. So, some of that made sense but i think in season two it really rounds into form between the two of them uh and i think not in in no small part because the actor's doing a a really doing a really good job of sort of carrying a little bit of that around but i don't know i he's you know in season one they're in new york together he moves away from new york to take a job in la peggy ends up in la in season two and you have to get right back into this issue but he's in a position where he's about to be married to a woman, he, he gets engaged to her in the course of the first season, and right. by the couple episodes later, you never see her again. And it's like I understand that Peggy plays a part in his life, but it just that – all, that all seemed very rushed to me. It was
0: a little rushed. <laughs> you know. <it> wasn't pro- <laughs> that probably wasn't the most deftly told story.
1: No, and I, I mean, I get what they wanted to do there, and I get why that 's difficult but i don 't think it needed to i don 't think it needed to be as neat as they tried to wrap it up. I think there was a lot more room for difficulty there and I think that the the show really sped through that a little bit, and I think they probably feel like they told the this- story over the course of two seasons, and so they didn't really speed through it a ton. But I think once you put uh, a potential fiancé or an actual fiancé into the mix, I just don't think it's as clean as as they, they made it seem.
0: There are two, I want to talk about some more characters. The two that first come to mind are probably two of the strongest antagonists that Peggy faces. Dottie Underwood, played by Bridget Regan, who starts off in season one, is also a factor in season two. And then the character that I imagine that you are really into, based on what you had said earlier, the villain of this season of season two, Whitney Frost, played by Wynne Everett. What was your take on both of those characters?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm Dottie Underwood. It's weird because at first I wasn't even sure it was the same character. So the uh, the Dottie Underwood character has a lot of kind of development in season one. She's a different hair color, so that's obviously very difficult uh, to kind of square away. At least it was for me because there are. It, it's presented almost like the same character, but it's not. I mean, it's presented as the same character but she looks very different to me. Right. Uh, and, but I, I really did like, as I was saying earlier, the backstory of Dottie Underwood is that she had this sort of upbringing uh, in a Russian program that was training you know, female subjects to be elite assassins with hand-to-hand combat and all these sorts of things. Um, you, you can't think of that program and see the flashbacks that you see in this series and not think of Black Widow. I do think that the connection is obvious, and it's meant to be there for sure. So that is a very interesting kind of information that we get about the character that to me adds a little more dimension to the character because I don't think we think of Black Widow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a bad person. I think that the character of Black Widow thinks of herself as broken and bad and all of these bad things, and I think we're supposed to think that. But the audience, I don't think we've ever seen Black Widow that way. I don't think we've ever seen the darkness that we see out of Dottie Underwood. So I think it's already Dottie Underwood's already a very interesting character for that reason because this is just a little it's like Black Widow but you maybe turn the dial like a couple more numbers further and this is what you end up with and I think that that part is very interesting. Season two, I I don't know, I I don't think they did a great job of. Bring her back into the story. A lot of what happens with her is fairly illogical to me uh, in in terms of what the decisions they make, they being the SSR agents and Agent Carter especially, make with regard to using that character. They don't make a ton of sense to me. So it's not the best job in season two, but I think it was interesting in season one. I don't know. What do you think about Betty Underwood before we move on to
0: Frost? I just love her as a character, and I I love the performance. I think that there's there's something, like, really gleeful about her sometimes. Like, there's a darkness, there's a sadness, there's... You understand that she was raised in extraordinary circumstances and became an extraordinarily powerful and also kind of awful person as a result, but you can sort of still empathize or sympathize, at least, with where she's coming from and how that's going to really F with a person. Um, But there's just a giddiness about her like the way that she smiles and the way that she talks about stuff and how she laughs and is so playful with Peggy that just on that level on the performance level I really enjoyed and I like that idea that we see in shows and stories a lot of like the you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend and you know teaming together with somebody who was an adversary once upon a time and is now your ally in the moment Um, shows like 24 did that really well for me when it was at its best Uh, and I liked the idea of Peggy and Dottie teaming together at certain points in season two. I don't think they played it perfectly. I think that they they probably could have done more with that partnership, but I like the idea of it. And I'm hopeful if there is a season three that they can capitalize on that a little bit better.
1: I, I agree. And I, I really like seeing Agent Carter be this sort of I work at the phone company, but I'm really kind of a secret agent, but I'm not a super spy, but I am, you know, really good at field work and this is what I do kind of agent. And we see the the sort of flip side of that coin with Dottie Underwood in season one. She is creating a false identity. She's living in the same building. She's got all these things going on. She's seduced Howard Stark. Like all of these things have happened. And these are things that we don't really see Agent Carter going full agent like this. We don't see her playing out uh, the things that we see Dottie Underwood doing. This is almost an Americans level uh, kind of, uh, you know, really kind of deep cover kind of role that Dottie Underwood is playing. And I think it's great to see not only that a woman can be an agent, right, what we see with Agent Carter – But to see that women can be all different kinds of agents, that the woman doesn't just have to do one thing, that Agent Carter doesn't have to be a seductress like Dottie Underwood does in her movement or the Dottie Underwood. Uh, doesn't have to be what Agent Carter is. That right. There's room for all different kinds of female characters as secret agents. And I think so seeing both of those two things play out in season one I thought was really great.
0: Alright, so let's talk about Whitney Frost, who's the big bad of season two, is based on the character Madame Mask from Marvel. It's not exactly similar to the Madame Mask of Marvel insofar as does not wear awesome golden mask on the show. Well, which, that's too bad. Which, would, which could have been pretty cool, but they do funky stuff with her face Uh, She's a super genius on the show. She's also a Hollywood star on the show, even though that tends to, we we find that that's kind of more of a cover of the fact that she's just this brilliant, brilliant woman who um, is also going to become part of some really, really nasty business. You really liked this character a lot.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I, I really, what I really liked is that, uh, I, I like that we get a little backstory. One of the things I, I think Agent Carter does really well. And, and it's kind of, like I said, it's subtle because it isn't the full conceit of the show. We're not getting a flashback every episode like we would on Lost or, uh, you know, Orange is the New Black or show that it relies on flashback as a conceit. We do get flashbacks though. So we understand that, you know, uh, that, Frost was raised, Agnes Cully, I think is her real name. Uh, Whitney Frost is her alias. Whitney Frost was raised by a a woman who, um, you know, was basically, uh, you know, doing what she needed to do to get by in the world. And uh, Frost was really smart from the, the time she was born. Didn't like that her mother was telling her, use your beauty to get by in the world, use your looks, take advantage of men, do all these things. And we see that. Um, we see that she basically, as a kind of younger woman, uh, is, is found by a, a, what we would say is a talent scout, probably a
0: creep, right? But seemed very creepy. Yeah. Probably. The guy just like waiting outside the movie theater to be like, Hey kid.
1: Yeah, and come with and, me. And, and and but it's kinda like, you know what? If you sleep with me, maybe I'll put you in the movies. That's right. essentially what that is. It's like he's like a walking casting couch. He's got a mattress strapped to his back. Like this is a gross <laughs> oh, gross. This is a gross, gross dude. Yeah. But she kind of has a moment of realization, like maybe I can get what I want. And so she kind of plays that um and, and I you know, I'm gonna do it that way. But I think the fascinating thing is if you think about who she was as a young girl, uh in maybe let's say the the t- 20s or whenever that would have been. Um, She should have been a great scientist. She had the talent. She had the skills. It was what she was interested in. But society was pushing her into a different direction because she was pretty. And I think that that is, again, A a, a point that the show makes without really nailing it, without putting the hammer too far on the head, showing that she went along to get along, but she's always been a massive scientist, and then making it a point throughout season two to show how brilliant she was. I think there's been some criticism of the second season, and I won't spoil anything, but that part of the plot relied on uh, essentially the the SSR agents not being too bright and Whitney Frost being brilliant. But I think that's a strength of the character, that Frost is so smart uh, and that she's Howard stark Brilliant as a scientist, uh, and or maybe even smarter in some respects, or more thoughtful. And I think that that's uh, that's really important. I think that that's a vital thing about this character. I think that you know what's going on with uh, with Win Everett playing the role is fantastic. Uh, seeing that kind of play out, and you know, just seeing kind of the various shades that she's playing of of affected either affected by the zero matter affected by power affected by the choices that she's making you know it, her motives are never 100% clear when she's dealing with people they become clear later i think that that's a great thing that goes on with this character
0: yeah no she's she's really terrific i thought she was a great adversary for peggy this season. I really liked. She had great She had great scenes with a lot of characters. I was so thrilled to see Ken Marino show up here. Yes, uh, me as, too. I cheered. Yeah, as you know, this mobster, Joseph Manfredi, he shows up here. He's a big character. He gets drawn into Whitney Frost's orbit, um, and that was such a delight. It was. I mean, the guest cast on this show, Kurtwood Smith, like, Kurt, Kurt Clarkwood Smith was on this show as Vernon Masters. He was great. The guest stars on this show are fantastic. Yeah, what's the guy's name? name, Ray Wise, is he? He was up there, yep. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Leland
1: Palmer was in the mix. Uh, I do just it, it. Really, I I agree. I was I was actually kind of very surprised. Uh, in even in the early episodes of season one, I was like, oh, Andre Royo is showing up here, right? Just in kind of a, a a bit role or like a smaller role, but here's Andre Royo just kind of walking on and playing a role that I thought was great. Like it's just fun to see these people showing up in this show. I think this show's cast is really fantastic and. If it did get renewed and they had to slash the budget, that would be a little bit disappointing because I think having the kind of people they have walking on and playing smaller roles, they've done a really good job with that and finding these kind of notable people instead of unknowns. But uh, if you know, I, I'm I'm confident that if they had to slash the budget, they could still do well. But the cast is, is also a very Sneaky, great thing about the show. Not only the main cast, but the surrounding people that yep. they put into these bit, into the bit roles. Totally. Uh, let's get into spoiler
0: territory. So we're sounding right. the alarm. We're almost an hour into this thing. If, you, if you've been listening and you watch the show, you, you've been nodding along with a lot of the things we've been alluding to. If you're interested in watching the show, go watch it. Turn this off. Come back when you're done. But this is the spoiler warning. It is over. Let's talk spoilers. What are some of the big plot points from season two that you feel like we ought to that we ought to dive into? Anything that you really really liked? Anything that you strongly disliked? What's the What's the number one hit hit list on the board? You think?
1: Well, um, I'm wondering for you what you think in, in general about uh, about kind of the the council and and everything that's going on with with that because i feel like that was essentially being positioned to be the kind of key thing that was going throughout the the context of this series is that something and kevin uh if kevin can if kevin ever finds his uh kevin's not his, here His physical form, he's not, Kevin's not here, not in physical form. Is this something that that we're supposed to tie to something greater in the comics, this council? Is this something that becomes Hydra-connected? I
0: was was just going to say it feels Hydra-esque because we know from Captain America Winter Soldier, the big reveal there is that Hydra infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, We know that Peggy Carter and Howard Stark, they're going to be two of the founding members of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're going to basically create S.H.I.E.L.D. um, And they're going to do that without any knowledge of Hydra infiltrating and being a huge part of the organization. I've always wondered how they would handle that on the show, because um, you know, if the show were to last long enough to the point that they build S.H.I.E.L.D., that they start creating S.H.I.E.L.D., it's got to be involved, right? Um, and to do that... I don't know how you do that without kind of undermining the characters that are so smart and resourceful and have always ferreted out the bad guys in Peggy, in Howard. I don't know how you do that. I feel like we're starting to get shades of that with this council that felt very Hydra-esque to me, that this could be the beginning of something that would somehow play into the founding of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Yeah. And that's, I, that's what I think too. And I I just didn't know if it was supposed to be more overt and maybe I was missing it. One of the kind of uh, cliffhangers that if we don't get a third season, it will not be addressed is the, you know, the council key uh, that was taken uh, that was taken in the that Chad Michael Murray's character discovered was actually a key and wasn't right. just a pin. Uh, what does that key unlock? We don't know. And I, I don't know if that, I mean, obviously that's kind of a setup for season three as they do it, but I'm not sure if, if, if we talked to the creators of this show and the showrunners and they said, if we got four seasons, we would get to the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D. and here's how we would get there. Uh, I'm not sure that I, I I truly see the roots of that, except I feel like if, it, if we do have any roots of these things that we'll get to later, the council and S.H.I.E.L.D. have to somewhat be related. And the council, a lot of the council is gone now. They went zero matter on us. That was great. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. That was a huge scene, and it was insane, and it was amazing. Uh, Just really, the... She had Frost just totally became uh, crazy at that point, like really just swallowed it all up.
0: The zero Um, matter concept was just awesome this season and the way that that power was utilized with Frost and just the way that she would just absorb people and there would be like a little crackling on her face afterwards. I thought that the way that they played it up visually was so awesome.
1: Yeah. And I, you know what? I don't know how much I was, we were meant to truly understand what happened with Zero Matter. And I'm kind of glad. Uh, we didn't really talk at all in our non spoiler portion of this podcast about, <laughs> about Peggy's other love interest from the second season, uh, which we talked a little bit about him being an African American doctor, but we didn't really talk about, uh, just how that all plays out, uh, with him in the dark matter and, or the zero matter and, I say Dark Matter because I think it's the same concept from Angels and Demons the Dan Brown book slash movie uh, where they're using the particle accelerator to create dark matter. I, I just never realized with particle accelerators and dark matter, anti-matter, that Dan Brown is essentially writing adult dull <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's another matter altogether. But another I, zero matter altogether. Another zero matter altogether. That's a zero matter altogether. Yeah. But I didn't really understand how what role he played in this thing. He goes into the breach, he comes out, then he's got the zero matter in him, then it all explodes out, but then he's fine. Like That part of the 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 zero matter consistency didn 't make any sense to me, but how it worked with Frost was awesome,
0: yeah, he was not a character that really I, I could have gone either way um, you know i didn 't really have any strong feelings one way or the other toward Wilkes. I thought that he he never really amounted to much he 's loosely based, I think that there is a Jason Wilkes in the comics that 's just like a bit character in a storyline somewhere that is a corrupt scientist who gets you know like some experiment backfires and he becomes invisible so that 's a real deep pull marvel to. <laughs> Just like have some henchman basically be the basis of one of Peggy's two love interests on the show this season. I didn't feel like they did too much with the character that really moved the needle for me one way or the other. One thing that is cool about the Zero Matter stuff is it's based on a concept called the Dark Force from Marvel Comics, which according to Wikipedia, this is how it's described. It is a powerful, extra-dimensional energy that can be manipulated in slightly different ways by a handful of beings that are attuned to it. Um, and there are there were a lot of interviews ahead of Agent Carter Season 2 about like how does this season tie into the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, if at all. Because that's always the thing with the movies, with the show, they're always trying to weave in and out of each other, even if it's just in small ways. Um, and the creators of the show talked a lot about how the zero matter has some sort of influence. It's in, it's rooted in Doctor Strange, which is going to be a movie that's coming out in I believe 2017. Benedict Cumberbatch playing the title role, and he is the Sorcerer Supreme. He's magical. He's the master of the mystic arts. And the way that Marvel will be handling that stuff is it's all like extra dimensional stuff. It's all about alternate dimensions and things like that. So this was a little bit of a call into that. And the only really majorly kind of not quite explicit way that they tied those things together. But if you know, if you pay attention to casting and you know what to listen for, you heard this is they're talking about um, like, did you hear her voice, right? Like that's something that Frost and Wilkes talk about right. when, when they're kind of bonding. Um, Tilda Swinton is playing a character called the ancient one, who is a massively important character in the Dr. Strange franchise. And I got to imagine that that's what the tie was, that they were hearing the voice of the ancient one, who is basically like one of the great mystical beings of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that was a kind of cool pull that you really didn't need to connect. But if you do know that stuff, like that's fun to sort of pay attention to.
1: That's interesting. Uh, and that, 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 is, uh, that is something that – and, I, and I, I don't want to get into a, a complicated rant here. But I have problems with other Marvel shows or perhaps other Marvel films in that I understand that they're generally supposed to take place in the current time. Like, so for example, if daredevil season two comes out, uh, Jessica Jones season one will have happened in that universe. Daredevil season one will have happened. Ant-Man will have happened in that world. Like the movies that have happened already chronologically in our world will have occurred. Uh, the events of those things will have occurred in the worlds of the characters in the new shows and films that we're watching. Uh, and so when the, the problem that I have with that is when some of these things are more directly tied to comics and are not overtly explained, uh, that's when I get a little bit lost. And so this sounds like one of those things – like if I just watched the show and I didn't know that fact that you knew yep. and I didn't end up seeing Doctor Strange or I did, I'm not going to see Doctor Strange until it comes out obviously – uh, then I, I would be like, you know, that thing they kept saying, did you hear the voice? Did you hear her voice? I felt like they dropped the ball on that. They right. never explained what that was. And so watching the show only would make me feel like they didn't do a good job with that. Even though at the end of the day, it sounds like it's just a, an Easter egg.
0: It's just an Easter egg. And I think yeah. that that's the pro and con of these Marvel stories. It's like, sometimes right. that's really, really fun. And then other times you're, it, you're right. It's like, do I really have to watch fricking Thor in order to get this? I'm right. sorry that I keep bagging on Thor, but I really do think those movies kind of suck.
1: No, I mean, I understand. It's fine. You know, your justice will not necessarily be in this world, but perhaps in the universe. I love Chris
0: Hemsworth. I love Tom Hiddleston. I love a lot of the casting in those movies. I don't think that they've gotten the movies right.
1: I especially think the first one was was pretty poor. I think that's a bottom three MCU movie, but I I think that the second one was a little more entertaining for me. Um, but anyway, I, I will say that I will say, I think that you're right. It's a pro and a con. I don't think this show really ever really struggled with the con in the way I think other shows did for me, uh, or other, other bits and pieces do for me. But, um, but I think the show was, I, I think it, I think it's in part served by the fact that it occurs decades before the continuity of everything except for the first captain America movie. Um, I think that having that happen generally speaking you can kind of nod at things that will come later uh, or you can kind of directly do what we're talking about which is you know say hey did you hear the voice or you can have the council and think well they'll probably going to these guys and their their world goals that exist outside governments and that exist for their own benefit only uh, they're probably going to morph in some way into Hydra like that makes a right. lot of sense I mean we even see Toby from I, I don't know his name's not Toby uh, I forget what his name from is from the his office name, <laughs> no his name's Toby in that you're high this movie um, toby the jones plays the, the actor who plays the german scientist yeah arnim zola toby jones toby jones. Yeah. toby jones yeah so we even see zola in agent carter season one and sort of an easter egg kind of scene um the kind of post-credit scene that you might see uh in a marvel movie and seeing that is like that's a direct link to hydra uh-huh. because we know he's mr hydra so it's there like the connective tissue is there <laughs> but it's not held up on why are you laughing so
0: much? Uh, <laughs> i'm just thinking about toby jones and your highness yeah, his character's yeah. name is Julie. <laughs>
1: i'll never forget it and he's got he's got a unique uh he's his anatomy is uh in question in yes anatomy.
0: yes yeah. he's got a freaky thing going on josh
1: I, I i'm a little skeptical i think we may end up at one day doing a your highness podcast i'm, I'm a little <laughs> a little worried about this because you seem to really like this movie and i remember it enough to remember it so i love
0: your highness i think that your puts highness me <laughs> that your puts highness us in a,
1: like the one percent of the universe <laughs> your yeah. highness
0: is an underrated film
1: no I, I, it is not because it no it, any rating would be too much of a rating <laughs> nope. for that
0: Disagreed. Hard hard
1: disagree. Your Highness may vary in terms of how much you enjoy that movie. But uh, yeah, anyway, we see Toby Jones uh, with Zola in there. So the the show does a good job of kind of establishing the connective tissue without being weighed down by it. And I think that that is – that is something that um, that knowing the, the did-you-hear-the-voice thing, I think that's an example where maybe they push it a little too far from Easter egg into plot point. Right. Uh, and by not really wrapping up the plot point, you're left to wonder, like, what was going on
0: there? I don't know. Maybe that is still a thing that, like, I, I don't know if that's the answer to it. That was my interpretation of it, and I feel like it feels like that was the answer to it.
1: And I feel like that's probably on point, and I feel like that's that's another thing where – Shows also struggle. Look, this show doesn't know when it's making season two. Is it getting season three? But they have to keep some bullets in the chamber. So they have to do a job where they establish season two, but they also do a lot of setup for season three. And I think they were smart enough with season two to take advantage of a lot of what they set up with season one. Uh, In season one, for example, Dottie Underwood is left as an open end. And where did she go? We don't know. Uh, what's going to happen between Sousa and Carter is an open end. We don't know. Um, all those things are kind of, uh, how are, how are Carter and Jarvis ever going to work together again? Like those sorts of things that are set up in season one, they, they come back into season two in a good way. So I think with some of this stuff, it's possible we haven't, I mean, look, Frost isn't dead by the end of season two. Uh, So it's entirely possible that Frost comes back into the mix if we get Agent Carter season three. She's in in an asylum, but that doesn't mean that that she's not going to come back into the story.
0: I would love for her to come back.
1: Right, and there are ways to do that. I think that could either, they could use her as an asset because she is so brilliant and they ultimately, by the end of the season, the big thing that
0: happens to to save the day is they steal her research and create a machine that she was building. That was such a great line from Howard Stark. It's like, how do all great scientists get ahead? They steal (laughs) other people's work. Yeah, I love Howard Stark, by the way. And he's one that I feel like you run the It's cool because you kind of have, like you sort of have Iron Man on this show.
1: Yeah, you have this, like, you know, playboy, quipper, like, you know, just kind of guy that you can't help but like, even though it's hard to take him seriously, but he's also so brilliant that you have to take him seriously, and he's one of a kind in the world, and you really feel that. Uh, I don't know. I... It's it's, it's fantastic that they were able to kind of use the same kind of setup that they had from Captain America and really deliver on that throughout the show. So that was a really good thing. But he's just so funny in this show. It makes me laugh so much. Just his little asides how he has a terrible memory for so many women that he's, you know, he just runs through so many women he that he can't remember. He didn't remember Dottie who
0: tried to kill
1: him. <laughs> right, like, but then he can remember certain things about them, or if a key factor could set him off, right. or he remembers like one thing. And what jacket like, oh, he was yeah.
0: wearing when he was kidnapped.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh, and that's how, and Jarvis knows. Jarvis knows how to jog the memory. That's the other funny thing. Jarvis is Jarvis like, oh, you remember her? You were wearing this? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's her. Okay, I got it. I remember her as relates to me. Yeah. Uh, not as anything about her specifically I think it's a really funny character
0: I think so too one other spoiler thing we should talk about I mean there's a couple that we could talk about you're you're happy with Peggy Sousa this is a thing that you're into
1: uh I wasn't I really wasn't in season one I was good with it in the end I am good within the end. I was ready at the end of season one. If we would have podcasted then to be like, I don't need this character. It's stupid. I don't know why they did it. <laughs> but by the end of season two, I I really you know kind of fell for Souza a little bit. I you know I really started to like him when he was you know when he was less. Uh, but you know he's kind of a bad guy. He's kind of a dick with. <laughs> the uh knowing that he's still in love with peggy and yet going through the, with a proposal to his girlfriend that should not have happened it's
0: not great it's not great it's not a good look but you know people make mistakes what are you gonna do
1: that's a big one it's that's a, big a really one.
0: big one it's a big and mistake
1: <laughs> such a big mistake that she never shows up in the show again which is also kind of rough
0: but awkward whatever. yeah hey yeah. also remember that time when peggy carter like fell from a ledge and got impaled on a piece of railing and was totally fine the next day well, no,
1: she wasn't because her stitches fell out one day. But then the next episode, she's rolling
0: out of the back of a van and she's fine. What a badass. So
1: I don't know what's happening Such there. Such a badass.
0: She's got like Wolverine healing factor power. This
1: is, yeah, she, this is the thing. In, in this universe, there are ways you could have just thrown some kind of crazy gadget on her uh, that, that, you know, the, the, the what's his name? Chamberly? Emberly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happened off screen. Yeah, you know, that he fixed her. Yeah, it ha- there's a lot that could have happened off screen
0: yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, for but sure. the b- the bigger one that I want to talk about is the setup for season three, which is Peggy Sousa happens at the very end. And for me, like, that's great as a final scene of the series if the series doesn't proceed any further. Like, I'm happy with that. It, you know, Peggy Carter, she's found love again. She's over Steve Rogers fully. This is a great thing. Good for you. Um, but then the final note that they leave season two on is this cliffhanger where Jack Thompson gets shot, maybe killed – And the ledger on Carter that was supposed to be, you know, like testifying to all these war crimes that she committed that she said was definitely not a thing is the thing that this assassin is after. So what are we, A, what are we supposed to take from it? And B, are we supposed to actually be expected to give a shit about Jack Thompson getting shot here? It's so
1: tough, right? Because he's so all over the map in the last four episodes. Like he's against Peggy, but then then uh, you know Stevens or whatever uh, just zaps his brain. Then he's for Peggy all of a sudden, even though he can't remember that. That's why his brain got fried. Uh, there's just so much going on there that it's like, what's happening? Like he, why- like, he
0: flip flops so much. Not just like across the show, but a. Especially this season.
1: Yeah, I said Stevens. I meant Masters because those are the same name, obviously. Yeah, I don't know... I really don't know. I don't think they did a great job with that character. And I don't blame Chad Michael Murray, even though I don't like the name Chad Michael Murray as a name. (laughs) I don't blame him for it. I, I, I feel like that that character wasn't the best written character in terms of their motivations or things that were abundantly clear. He finds ways to like 11th hour turn on them after he's already not turned on them. And the things that he's doing don't make a ton of sense. Like I don't, I don't understand why he it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I, I, and the thing is, look, he gets shot, and what happens? Like the file for Peggy gets taken. That's the file that he's holding back, and I know that's because he wants leverage against Peggy, but he's not supposed to be a beloved character at that point for wanting that. Sus is not keeping that file. Right. Like Thompson's keeping that file. And the other thing about that file and why I don't care about this story as a cliffhanger that much is Peggy seems to indicate that it's falsified, right. and I believe her. I yeah. don't believe that she was a war criminal.
0: Yeah, well, maybe there's stuff in there that isn't, you know, about war crimes, and maybe it has something to do with some of her missions against Hydra or something like that. You know, there still could be intel in there. It might not have been a falsified report. It might just be like the redacted stuff was, you know, being misrepresented.
1: Yeah, but the line of one of the redacted lines was like uh, all the civilians were killed or something. Right. And then it's like Peggy Carter was involved or whatever. And I'm trying to remember if there was anything in uh in the first Avenger, that would have kind of squared with that. And I I don't see any war crimes in Peggy Carter. I just don't see it having happened in anything that we've seen in the past. And I don't I, – frankly, I don't see that being you – know, I don't think you can retcon that. Like I don't think you can write that back into the character and have that fit. I just don't see it. So I don't know. I don't think that I'm that worried about that report. I just don't care who's got what I consider to be shoddy leverage against Peggy. And I think in the show – uh Masters says to Thompson at at one point, like you know what, it doesn't matter if it happened or not. It's in a report, so it's official. Do you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't carry a lot of water to me, because I don't see how Peggy would care about that leverage, personally. Uh, I think that she would feel like it wasn't... I mean, I I just don't see it. She's always existed outside the law, ultimately, in this world. Like, we know, for example, that Captain America is always targeted by S.H.I.E.L.D. as maybe a kind of guy that needs to be taken down, and they would falsify reports about Captain America, and they've done things to make Captain America America seemed like a wanted figure, uh, and you know he's always said, "I don't care. I'm not that way. So I'll just go into deep cover, and that's what I'll do." And so, as far as I, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's shoddy stakes at best. If I'm worried about that, so I'm really not.
0: It's a long way to go to just like kill a dude for a forged paper.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know. We don't see the person who does it. Do you have any thoughts on who that may be, uh, or? A character that you know could come into play there that it could,
0: it could be mattered. masters i mean we never see what happens to kurtwood smith's character the last we see of him he's getting zero mattered but it didn't look like he got zero mattered all the way i they could play it either way you know he could have gotten zero mattered to death or maybe he's still good so he was somebody that i was thinking about um no other real suspects come to mind for me it seemed like it was a man it, it looked like a masculine figure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's Wilkes. I don't think it's Stark. I don't think it's anybody like that. Dooley is very clearly dead. Uh, I'm not. Chadwick, I think, is dead, right? Like, that's the suggestion that. That she has killed her uh, her husband to be, or her husband, I guess, the senator to be, Calvin Chadwick, um, who looks like he looks a little bit like Frank Underwood to me, (laughs) but it's like a it's like a like a faux Underwood. He is
0: um his the actor's name is Curry Graham, and I've seen him on a lot. He um memorably to me, and it was an aha moment while I was watching it, is that he is the actor who plays a character from Twenty Four, season one, uh, named Ted Kofel. Um, who is part of one of the very best episodes of all of 24. And I will say nothing else in case that you are listening to this and you haven't for some reason, check that at least season one of 24 is very much worth your time.
1: He showed up on uh, Boston Legal all the time, and I always thought he looked like Kevin Spacey then. And I just – I feel like he's he's trying to be like a politician and House of Cards is coming out, so I was thinking of Frank Underwood a lot. But he's not really good at it. He's like a Frank Blunderwood. Like oh,
0: not, look at that. It's
1: not happening. Late play like, for the he's hashtag. Just kind of, I like He's that. just kind of like shamming his way through mm-hmm. the show. But I mean I suppose it – i 'm pretty sure he 's dead though, but we know manfredi 's not dead like right. uh, so i don 't know we Manfredi apparently had a connection to uh, to Tony Stark, they 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 spa together. I don't know, uh, so maybe he's not a bad 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 guy at the core, but it could be somebody associated with him. But none of that's really moving the needle for me, man. Yeah. Like none of it is. Yeah. Like none of that. Even if it's uh, Masters, it's not moving the needle for me.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Like I would love to see season three because I love these characters. I love this world. I I I mean, we didn't really talk about it much at all. But like the 1940s Hollywood thing was a great shift, I think, from New York in the first season, which was also very fun. But this is a part of the Marvel universe that really was completely unexplored until this season, and I thought it was really, really cool what they did with it. I'd love to see more. I'd be curious to see where they could go next. If there's, you know, if they if they took Agent Carter international, if they were like in Paris or if they were doing something like that, it would be really fun. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I would like to see more of this show. There are a lot of reasons why it's hard to imagine that we're going to get more. I don't think that it is completely out of the realm of possibility, but we already highlighted a lot of reasons for why it might not get that third season pickup. Um, and if it doesn't, like I feel like this season ended the story in a pretty satisfying way other than this cliffhanger, which I think you could kind of just ignore and then you know pretend like Agent Carter ended.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's sort of, I guess, the way to look at it would be, um, you know what, if we don't get a third season, Agent Carter's always going to have enemies, not just because... She- she's a woman, but because she's really good at doing what she does. Totally, And there's always going to be people that are wanting to take her down. And she's going to fight that throughout, uh, throughout the course of history. And that's going to lead her to found shield. Uh, but she's still going to make it. She's going to, she's going to survive through to the winter soldier. She's going to make it to being a, an old lady in a, you know, in a, in a retirement home that captain America goes and visits. Right. So I think that knowing that we, the character lives and survives through it all. Um, I think we can fill in a lot of blanks or, and I think, honestly, if Marvel wanted to capitalize on whatever success they felt they've had with the show, you could you could create a new comic series or you could start with Agent Carter issue one and, and kick it off. And really, you could write it and you could continue the stories that way. So there are ways to take advantage of the storytelling that they've done throughout these two seasons. You're right. The Hollywood stuff was great. I really liked uh, how it started off in season two almost like a film noir, right? Uh, kind of big sleep kind of thing where, oh, a woman's body has been found at a lakeside and we don't know what happened and this could be the work of a serial killer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, are they going to go like Detective Story with season two of Agent Carter? And very quickly the stakes get raised a lot higher. right? But I, I liked how it started that way. I thought that was a great introduction to L.A. and to the kind of things that they wanted to
0: do with this season. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you didn't know what you were getting into with Agent Carter. It exceeded your expectations. Absolutely. Um, you were famously... On the on these superhero podcasts, anti agents of Shield, does this at all make you question whether or not that's a show worth giving a shot? And if not, why not?
1: No, and I'll tell you that the why not is pretty simple. There's just too many episodes. Uh-huh. I think the part of why Agent Carter is good is you can tell one story over eight to ten episodes, right. and you don't have not to a deal big with- commitment. You don't have to deal with a lot of monster of the week type stuff or villain of the week type stuff. You can actually tell a villain story that develops over the course of a full season instead of, oh, what's this crisis this week? It's a different villain. Oh, what, what, how did, how, what's this thing that we have to go address this week? That's how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reads to me. Whether or not that's accurate I- – I only watched maybe the first nine, 10 episodes. That's what the show was. It was accurate
0: at that time. I don't think it's accurate anymore. Uh, So it's
1: it's probably a show that I would like more now uh, than what it was initially. Uh, And, you know, Josh, you and I podcasted a ton here at Post Show Recaps about Justified, a show we both loved. And that show took about eight episodes to get past the story of the week, every week kind of thing. And they were still doing stories of the week, uh, even even into the final season. Uh, So... Once they got past that, clearly we felt it was a better show, but that doesn't mean that a show can't be Story of the Week. X-Files, famously, of course, which we've talked about here on most shows recapped, uh, does a little bit of everything. They have shows that address the overall narrative, they have Monster of the Week, they have comedy episodes, so maybe Agency S.H.I.E.L.D. wants to play in those that sandbox but it just doesn't really move the needle for me in that. I don't like that they brought uh, I just don't like that they brought Clark Gregg back. I just don't like some of these things that I feel detract from my, my liking of the overall universe sure. and then again, I don't want to have to watch it
0: in order to appreciate the movie. Easy to ignore. It's an easy, yep. it's an easy show to yep. ignore. You don't have to watch it and get any enjoyment out of the rest of the Marvel movies. I will say, the only pitch that I will give is, I think that you're right I think it was very much Monster of the Week for the first nine, maybe even first 12 episodes of the first season. There is still a good amount of that throughout the rest of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it becomes a lot more narratively focused. It starts focusing on um, some really kind of surprising aspects of the Marvel Universe that I expected they would reserve for the films. Um, They actually started going into, in a really big way on Agents of Shield right around episode 13 of the first season. It's an episode called Tracks. Is a really tight episode of Agents of Shield. I think that's the first really legitimately great episode of that show. There's a couple more episodes after that that are fine, not fantastic, not anything. And then they have the Captain America Winter Soldier tie-in episodes that are really great, contain very big game-changing reveals about some of the characters on the show. And from that moment forward Agents of Shield Really heats up. And that run from about episode 16 or 17 of season one to at least halfway through season two are very, 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 very super strong episodes. All right. um, I'm behind. I'm really behind on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. I'm about um, the equivalent of a full season behind at this point that I've re- I really want to catch up. It's just a thing that I haven't prioritized but from that point of season 1 at least to the midway of season 2 is what i can attest to it was all really good stuff i hear that it loses its way a little bit here and there after but i can't i can't testify one way or the other all i can say is that chunk of episodes that i'm representing Good stuff. If you ever get bored, Antonio, worth giving a shot. If you guys are listening to this and you haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that's what I would say. I do think that you probably have to watch a certain portion of the first half of season one to appreciate where the show is going. But I bet there's a curated list out there that you could uh, cut some of the fat from and, and just be able to proceed forward.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I'll consider that. Nah, <laughs> but I'll you. I'll consider I mean, it. But been, there's so much. To there's a catch lot out there, and like, that's the difficult thing. Too many episodes. Yeah, there's, man.
0: there's a, Well, I think if you if you cut down the order of like that first batch of like twelve episodes of, or so that are not fantastic and only watch kind of the essential ones, I bet you come up with a list of like five. Um, and you could probably just watch those five and then start getting into the rest of it. Regardless, I know that you've started getting into the superhero shows thing a little bit more, which is exciting for me. I mean, you like the DC shows a lot right now. You had a good time here with Agent Carter. Maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is worth a shot. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Um, Maybe. Daredevil coming back soon. Are you excited about
1: that? Very excited. Both trailers have been great. They look super dark, obviously, but dark in a kind of a, in a, in a high stakes kind of way, dark yeah. in a, uh, lots of people are dying kind of way, Yes. Uh, not dark in a, like, I hate my life and I'm um, being morose and emo kind of way, but like in a very like bad stuff is happening and daredevil needs to stop it kind of way.
0: Yeah. I know a few people who've seen, I don't know how many episodes, but enough episodes to start forming opinions. And everyone that I've talked to who has watched it so far has been two thumbs up so i'm really excited about it. i think the podcasting about it this coming season is going to be interesting in terms of scheduling i think scheduling might be a little bit of a challenge we'll figure that out over the next coming weeks but what's going to be really interesting is zero matter kevin is not a punisher fan and punisher is a prominent 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 part of daredevil season two so i'm curious if he's going to like it or not but i know that he hates the punisher Oh, interesting. Well, then, yeah, this will be very... Contentious podcasting might be coming up. Or he yeah, or might be one over. But I love John Bernthal of The Walking Dead, played Shane on Walking Dead. He's going to be Frank Castle, the Punisher on Daredevil. I think that that's spot-on casting. I think that casting is really, really great. And this is coming from someone who maybe in the minority, I've liked basically every live-action Punisher that they've done. In some way, shape, or form, I have found something to enjoy. But I think even as somebody who would defend the Tom Jane Punisher, and the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, for that matter. Uh, I feel like John Bernthal, to me, seems like the best casting for that character that we've gotten so far. So I'm, I'm excited to see if that actually translates once the episodes start rolling through.
1: Yeah, I, I'm... He's an interesting actor for the, for just about any role. I know he's in Fury, and he's a you know, very you know he's an actor of a lot of repute. So to get him to kind of do a uh, full on season here, I think this is. I mean, it's great casting. We'll see. I don't know what the plan is. I, I, if the plan had been to spin off a movie out of this series or if he's going to get his own series. But I think there are plans beyond just this season of Daredevil. Is there's that right? There's rumors out there. There's rumors that yeah. there's
0: going to be a Punisher show on Netflix. Jeff Loeb, who's the head of Marvel TV, kind of downplayed that recently. But I think at the very least, you have to imagine that you would see Frank Castle in The Defenders, which is going to be the big event series on Netflix coming up after, after Daredevil season two, after, I assume, Jessica Jones season two, after Luke Cage, after Iron Fist, all of the characters from that are going to collide in a show called Defenders, which is basically Netflix's answer to the Avengers. So, yeah, I, like I, a street-level Avengers. Right. So I think that you, you got to imagine that Frank Castle would show up there. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. Uh, mentioned Iron Fist really quickly. Um, Iron Fist is another Marvel character that is going to be getting the Netflix Treatment. There had been a lot of question about this character. For those who don't know, Iron Fist, he's, a, he's the master of martial arts. He is basically the, uh, the big martial arts character in the Marvel Universe. He's a character named Danny Rand, who has the power of the Iron Fist, which, which is basically like he'll punch you and you, you'll just explode. Not literally, but maybe. Sometimes if he punches you hard enough, basically he's just a badass. Uh, and a lot of people were really, really hoping for an Asian-American actor to be playing Danny Rand in Iron Fist. There was a lot of talk about that, a lot of hope for that, a lot of petitions for that. Lots of people conversing about that possibility. The casting has come through. It is not going to be an Asian-American actor playing Danny Rand. It is going to be the lily-white Finn Jones, (laughs) who is Loris Terrell from Game of Thrones, is going to be playing that character. Antonio, I'm curious if you had any thoughts whatsoever on that casting.
1: Yeah. I just, I mean, I feel like I understand the reasons why that they've cast a a lily white Loris Tyrell, a knight of flowers, if you will. I do get that. Like the character in the comics is white, but from what I've read, um... That doesn't. That's not necessarily a good thing that the character in the comics is white. That maybe there was some appropriation going on there, or the story for why the character is white is representative of things that probably we shouldn't have represented. uh, Or it's almost like saying, "Well, somebody had a black servant in a story set in the nineteen twenties, so we have to make sure they stay black." Like there are things that maybe you are worth changing, or that you should even think about, or take a look at changing. As far as I understand it, and I'm not Kevin Brochacho, so I can't give you uh, Kevin Mahadeo, Kevin Zero Matter, yeah. uh, Kevin. Uh, he's been referred to so many th- by by so many names on this podcast. Indeed, our, our Brochacho Kevin, uh, he Kevin would be able to tell us, I think, more about the comics specifically. But from what I understand, there's no real need for that character to be white. Right. Like it's not a major factor. It's not like, um, I don't know, like uh, it's not like uh, Arrow, for example, uh, who is this really rich white kid who goes through a lot and part of his story is that he's nothing. Uh, He has no role in the martial arts world or no role in the League of Assassins. He's like a nobody uh, and he fights his way up through and and gets into these things. Uh, But part of why he was always questionable is because he was white. Uh, This is a character I don't sense that about him. He comes into a town and he's just got great natural ability. Uh, And that's sort of like, I don't know if we need to replay that. So it'll be very interesting to see how they handle that story and are cognizant of the the concerns and complaints people might have had and if they address them at all or if they just go through and do what the comics did. So. I think that could be difficult.
0: Yeah, I think if Kevin were here, I think, you know, he he and I discussed this during Jessica Jones a little bit. Um, he was very much uh, for an Asian American iron fist. Um, I think that he's probably, I haven't talked to him about it, but I think that he's probably got to be pretty disappointed about it. I think that it was a missed opportunity personally. Um, that's me, it. Finn Jones is a good actor, so I, I kind of feel bad for Finn Jones. Like, I feel like he's, I mean, you know, I feel like he, he might be able to do something really good with it, but I, it does feel like a missed opportunity opportunity to
1: me. It also feels like, though, you don't want to make a show where you're like, you know who's really good at kung fu? Asian people. There's, like, a,
0: there's a great piece from a friend of mine who's actually appeared on Post Show Recaps in the past, Albert Ching, who's the managing editor of comicbookresources.com, who penned a great editorial that's basically to that point. That's like, you know, I kind of don't want an Asian American Iron Fist. It's a complicated issue. You know, there's, yeah. there's there's lots of lots of different perspectives on the thing. Um,
1: I guess I, w- I just, w- I, I don't, I think that it's going to damned if you do, damned if you don't. Kind of. I don't think that you yeah. have to. I think saying he has to be Asian is wrong. I think saying he has to be white is wrong. They should have just made him black and that would have been fine. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> it's gone a totally
0: different way. Yeah. I think it was a lose lose. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I think that there were, because there was so much around it that I think that there wasn't a way that they were going to go that, um you know, that, uh, that everybody would have been happy. So, right. you know, it is what it is. I think, honestly, uh, I like Iron Fist a lot, but like maybe the answer was just like, I don't know that Iron Fist needed a Netflix show. Like, I feel like a lot of the Iron Fist story that you're going to end up telling is stuff that you could have told in Daredevil, and you probably could have had a more interesting show if you needed another show. But Iron Fist was part of the announcement of that initial run of Netflix shows, so, um, you know, I guess may- maybe they felt like they had to do it. Maybe they feel like they have a killer idea for it. I'm blanking on the name of the guy who's the showrunner on Iron Fist but he is somebody who worked on Dexter prominently if not as a showrunner for like the bad stretch of seasons for like the back half of Dexter which is some yes, of the I most, saw that. is like dumpster fire television as far as i'm concerned some of the worst of the worst stuff and that's the guy who's steering the ship forward on Iron Fist so I, I like a lot of the Iron Fist comics. If you haven't read the Matt Fraction run, that's a really, really fun run of... Uh, not like the fun run in the slang sense. It's a good stretch of comics that you should read if you're into martial arts stories and if you're just into good comic books and good superhero storytelling. Matt Fraction, and I believe the artist was David Asia, um, they did a really, really, really great run on Iron Fist that's really fun. And if, they could, if Netflix could pull that into into existence. If they can pull from that and turn that into a live action story, that'd be great, but that's going to be big budget. So I can't imagine that's the direction they're going. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I feel like Iron Fist could have been Daredevil season three, but it is, it is what it is. Anything else superhero wise that you want to talk about before we sign out here? into no, we really covered most of the Marvel angles. Jessica Jones Season 2 will happen.
1: I'm not a huge fan of that show. I, I, I feel like I have ended up liking Agent Carter a ton more than I like Jessica Jones. But That's an entirely different podcast. But I think that Marvel's doing great things here. We'll talk about the DC shows more on a later podcast uh, in months to come. Uh, there are some crossovers happening with Flash and Supergirl and we've still got you know Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow and other DC things that are developing. Uh, so there'll be stuff to talk about there for sure. So I don't I don't really think that it's worth hitting that here. But as far as the Marvel shows go, I feel like Marvel is rolling pretty good. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the only one I don't really, really think uh, lived up to the others. And you're saying it gets better. So maybe I'll have to check that one out for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, keep your expectations in check. But I think it's a better show certainly than than you were probably thinking about. Yeah, I have no expectations, so there's really <laughs> nothing to keep in check. Well, Agents of Shield is coming back. It is coming back now that Agent Carter is done. So if you watch that show, hooray! Go back to your favorite show on television. Agents of Shield is also apparently spinning out a show from two of its characters for a show that's going to be called Marvel's Most Wanted, and that feels like a that feels like a bridge too far for me. Uh, like you don't need to do the Agents of Shield spin. Like We don't need to do that. If Agent Carter is in trouble and Agent Carter doesn't come back because we now have an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff with uh, Bobby and I think that the other character's name is Lance Hunter. We don't need that. Um, and I know that none of that makes any sense to you, Antonio, but I'm just nope. telling you, we don't need it. It's okay. We I agree. I don't you know. think you ever need a character named Lance Hunter. That's no. right. Lance, sure. Lance Hunter is the name of the character and the actor's name is Nick Blood. Okay. That feels like that should have been the superhero name. Like he should should have signed onto the show and just been like, can you just call me by my real name? Because that's such a comic book name.
1: Nick Blood. Nick Blood. Nick Blood. Yeah. It's like the uh it's what happens after Nick Fury gets really angry. Yeah. Nick Blood
0: happens. Nick Blood happens. Uh hashtag Antonio, do you got anything? Oh uh, no, I don't know. Nick Blood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh we had Frank Blunderwood, but I don't think that we want to cross over into House of Cards territory. We could just in tribute to our to our friend who went missing, Kevin Mahadeo. How about Zero Matter, Kevin? Yeah, Zero
1: Matter Kevin. That's yeah. our Zero Dark Kevin. Zero, zero, zero Kevin.
0: Dark Kevin. So zero zero Matter Kevin, I think, is the way to go. Antonio, I will not be on most shows recapped next week. I will be away. It'll be you and Rob holding down the fort. Have you guys talked about what you what you have planned, or is that TBD? That's TBD. TBD. Uh, Mystery that, show next week.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think that do – you, do you have any ideas? Do you have any suggestions for us, Josh?
0: Well, I don't want to suggest anything because anything I would su- suggest would be a show that I'd want to talk about, and I don't want to miss out. So, what
1: are some shows that you don't want to talk? about?
0: <laughs> I want to talk about this show, Happen Leonard. I want to get into that at some point in the near future, but I don't want you to talk about that without me.
1: That's the is that the that, is that the Louis CK show?
0: No, it's not the Louis <laughs> CK show. That's uh, Horace and something. Horace and Pete. Uh, oh, close enough, right? Well, you guys could watch Horace and Pete, and then we could do Happen Leonard the week after. Happen Leonard is James Purefoy. Michael K. Uh, uh, Michael K. Williams is, I believe, the name of the actor, right? Um, so I think that that's a that's a show that I'm that I'm interested in uh, look look that up I want I want to talk about that, that at some point in the future all right
1: well uh, we'll, we'll look into it TBD yeah, TB, TBD. TBD, TBD, TBD.
0: mo shows recap next week but we will be back sans me plus Rob and Antonio subscribe to what we're doing posthow recaps.com slash MSR iTunes for MoShows shows or just for the general feed post com slash iTunes Antonio anything else no that's it ma'am all right bye everybody Bye.